Ethereum, maybe 10, 20 years out, was going to be infrastructure for the machine to machine economy. It's like the rails on which got it was transferred um, and automatically done between all these different systems and will kind of be an internet backbone that we take for granted. Hey, I'm Rudy Dogum, and this is Wholesome Crypto. Here I speak with crypto experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs to find out what personally led them to the path of cryptocurrency. Today I speak with Justin LaRue, marketing and business development lead at Good Plus. Justin has been in the cypherpunk community since the 90s, which naturally guided his path into the crypto industry. Initially, Grid Plus was an energy subsidiary and transitioned into the leading innovator of hardware wallets. Hey, Justin, thank you for joining me on Wholesome Crypto Podcast today. I appreciate you coming out and taking that time out for uh, for us to hang out and talk. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too, for sure. And you know, you've done so much uh, writing the crypto industry. I know you're working on Grid Plus Lattice, and there's a lot of exciting things happening with that. But before we get into all that stuff, I want to learn more about you and what you're doing and you know how you got into the crypto space. So tell me a little bit about you know yourself and what were you doing before you even heard about Bitcoin? Um, see, prior to hearing about Bitcoin, you know, I was still probably a student. I, I was aware of it very early on. Um, but the way I initially got pulled into crypto was uh, very unceremonious. It wasn't a great origin story. Mm -hmm. It was just that uh, based on the timing, you know, the early 2010s, um, I was on a lot of torrent sites. Uh, nice. Like just I'm a, just an obsessive music collector. LimeWire and stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> so why did I have to buy Bitcoin originally? It was like, oh, well, that's how they accepted donations for server bills. Wow, what year was that? Like 2014. Oh, wow. But, but I wasn't like stockpiling Bitcoin yeah. back then. It was something I, I did and it was on my radar. Um, and yeah, I think that's it's right around the right time frame. But again, at the beginning, it wasn't something that I was uh, fully enamored of. Um, I loved the original idea of Bitcoin because I think that community felt very different to me at the time. It was sort of like a techno-utopian, uh, exciting, fun, laid-back thing, um, a cool experiment. I was never really drawn to... Uh, sort of uh, the political side of that particular ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was just like, wow, this is this is fascinating and, and fun. But I didn't get that much that into it. I wasn't stockpiling Bitcoin. Um, so, so you were definitely like, so would you call yourself like a, a tech enthusiast back in the day? Were you always interested in computers and like what's going on, on the internet? Was that like your domain where you lived back in the day? Yeah, um, I think it sort of uh, it coincides with uh, my, my generation mm -hmm. in particular. So it's like, born in the mid 80s. And so I grew up with the first kind of wave of like computers at home being a, a normalized thing, uh, people getting Nintendo when they were young. And so tech was just sort of a part of the, the fabric of my life in a way that I don't think other generations had. And it was also there for the earlier days of, of the internet as well, mm -hmm. which was also, I guess, uh, before it was about everybody yelling at each other online. It was also sort of this kind of techno utopian, like exciting thing that just thrilling to be part of and experiment with. I think that's the best part mm -hmm. about the internet and the worst, but the best part is like you can meet a lot of people, especially like-minded people, you know, on, on, on forums, like on IRC chats, back in the day, IRC, now it's all Discord. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you get a huge community and, and it's amazing what people together can accomplish, especially something like now, which is you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And everything's accomplished digitally, everything is remote and yeah. it's um, exciting stuff. For me, um, yeah, why was tech always really important to me? think also I grew up in, in kind of more rural Massachusetts. Okay. So, you know, when you're younger and you're in a smaller place, um, technology is a more exciting window to the world. And, you know, you mentioned being able to find like-minded people with similar interests. I think a lot of, you know, very young people today that have grown up with that take that for granted. Mm -hmm. um, but I think just feeling that shift, it may make it more personally meaningful 
to me or maybe people of my age um, that like you you went from uh, being kind of like a, a lone wolf with a weird interest to all of a sudden you can find a like-minded community of people that you love engaging with. Um, so that's a really, it's a special thing. And, but, but your first time hearing Bitcoin was just, I guess, through forums. It wasn't even or seeing donation addresses, but did you have like a friend who was trying to convince you, hey, Justin, you have to get into this Bitcoin stuff. It's it's the craziest thing ever. So, so not really. Um, were you that friend? Cryptography and the cypherpunks were on my radar like in the late 90s already because I was reading like Wired and Mondo 2000 and older magazines that were um, focused on cryptography as a, a personal freedom initiative, not in terms of financial freedom. Um, but at, at that time in the late 90s, um, there was a lot of discussion of uh, strong cryptography being deemed a munition by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember someone getting uh, a uh, public key string like tattooed on their arm and that was being featured in, in oh, Wired because wow. he wanted to just travel with that across borders, um, saying that, you know, this is something that is uh, a beneficial technology for everyone. It should not be treated in this fashion. We should all have access to these tools. Uh, so I had that kind of context originally with like cryptography using PGP early on. Um, but when I first got into Bitcoin, no, I didn't think of it as an investment thing. I thought of it as uh, kind of just like as in an abstract way, as a fun and interesting thing. And I think maybe my first connections reading a little bit more was like the Bitcoin talk forums and like Reddit yeah. um, as it started to pick up there. But even then, Reddit's crypto communities didn't start getting bigger till like 2015, yeah. 2016. I think... I think Ethereum definitely exploded that scene just because of all the ICOs that came out and everyone's creating a subreddit for their ICO. But yeah, Bitcoin Talk Forum was the was the place to go. That's where everyone released their new coin or token. And that was a that was a cool form to be on. Yeah. It's still active today. Um, kind of is. It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> it's not something I've looked at for a long time and yeah. got value out of it. Yeah, it was right around, it was 2016, um, where I initially, I'd heard about Ethereum before in passing and I hadn't really considered it that deeply. And it was Reddit, I think, where I really started going down um, the rabbit hole on Ethereum. And at that time it was still, it was very small. There was the old ETH trader subreddit. I think it was like five to 10,000 people. Yeah. And everyone was saying Ethereum was dead um, because of <laughs> uh, the DAO hard fork. And uh, I, I just got more and more enamored with it. And I, I kind of felt like a crazy person because I was like, this is so exciting. There's so many things that can be done. Um, why is no one else fired up about this? I still feel like and a crazy person sometimes. I'm like, Ethereum's great. And people are looking at me like, what's Ethereum? What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, I think anyone who's really into crypto knows there's a, you can kind of see someone's gaze when you go too deep into the weeds and like they sort of start like drifting. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, cool. But anyways. Exactly. That's <laughs> the thing like. The, that's the problem with like-minded community is that we're all in it together thinking the same way and seeing the same you know vision but when you go back out into the mainstream world it's kind of like oh yeah not not everyone sees this yet and how, how do i help I think, yeah that's true of even people who identify themselves as being deeply into crypto mm -hmm. um i guess a, a little background so with my job i work for hardware wallet manufacturer um that's focused on ethereum in particular and smart contract chains and so you know, I think everyone likes to posture on social media that they're they're deep tech experts. Yeah. But in reality, most people who say they're really into crypto are trading on centralized exchanges. Yep. They might be nervous about asking for a little handholding, uh, but most people out there need it. Like you see this sort of very small uh, subset of the crypto community who's uh, dogfooding everything, trying every new thing that comes out. And uh, still, most people are kind of at the point where you probably were years ago. Or like, I remember the first time I sent money off of a centralized exchange. Yeah. And I think like I was 
double checking the re, you know receipt address like over and over again. My palms are sweating. I was so oh. terrified <laughs> I was going to do something wrong. And, uh, and now <laughs> I remember that. It's, yeah, signing is like a, a daily thing. But uh, you know, it felt very exotic doing that or trading on um, Ether Delta for the first time. Mm-hmm. I thought I was doing just yeah. That was weird. a Dexes were were really big thing back in the day and it's just i don't know what they kind of just like fell off and DeFi just totally took over well oh uh, yeah i mean but now it's something we take for granted yeah so we've got uniswap and balancer and all the aggregators so people just it's like uh something that was sort of radical initially that um now it just works then so at this point you're working as a hardware uh wallet manufacturer but before you got into that and what were you doing as your career path um my Early 20s, I had a very meandering path. Uh, I started out originally as uh, a performing arts student, and uh, I was studying music and uh, music production. Cool. Uh, which I'm, as far as um, career paths, it was not the most solid coming into the, the digital age. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I bounced around. I did like computer science for a semester, philosophy. Where I ended up landing was the antithesis of all of this. Um, I was like, okay, I've got to do the most practical thing possible. So I got into accounting and finance. And then I went on to do my MBA gotcha. and uh, then I, I worked in a very niche, boring area for a while and did hedge fund and private equity tax analysis at JP Morgan and State Street. Okay. Um, and uh, some people love that. Uh, for <laughs> me, it you know it kept the lights on and I was never particularly thrilled about uh, Next day. Tax, yeah. tax as a pursuit. Yeah. yeah. And so somewhere around 2016 early 2017 as like, we're like, oh, holy cow, Ether is going to hit $10 again. Uh, <laughs> I think I spent more time in the office looking at Etherscan uh, and yep. people were asking me about it. And I even remember like we had internal conferences. State Street was um, super into well, their blockchain proof of concepts early on. They didn't do much that had traction initially. I remember going to this internal conference and had these cheesy giant card- cardboard cutouts and just said blockchain. And really? It was like wow. blocks flying through space. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, "Like this is all right. This is a real thing. It's not just uh, my weird Reddit communities and like people are seeing it. Other people um, who are considering it deeply are seeing it too. So that was part of the signal to start thinking about making the jump. Then, so you're seeing, but then, um, what uh, convinced you to like take the jump? What was the point of going from a tax analyst to becoming part of Grid, well, Grid Plus? A couple of things. I, I started following Grid Plus even before the project really started in like uh, spring of 2017 when I was streaming videos from a crypto conference hosted by, by Rice University. Okay. Um, and so Alex Miller, uh, one of the co-founders of Grid Plus, spoke um, and he was talking about ideas that would lead to the genesis of Grid Plus, which was uh, distributed energy meshes um, where they would have like um, they worked on this proof of concept that's still live in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Microgrid mm-hmm. in conjunction with LO3 Energy when Alex was at Consensus. Um, and what that did was just basically a local transactional grid where energy is shared directly peer-to-peer. Um, for regulatory reasons, that's not something that can happen at scale in the U.S. or, or most of um, the Western world. Um, but he is talking about um, creating greater efficiency with the infrastructure we have now using batteries. It just resonated with me tremendously as... Um, like, a serious application beyond speculation okay. where the technology, it just made, it made sense for this purpose. Um, and Joe Lubin talked at that one too. And he talked about, I don't know if his perspective has shifted over the years, but another 
theme that resonated with me is that uh, Ethereum, maybe 10, 20 years out, was going to be infrastructure for the machine to machine economy. It's like the rails on which value is transferred um, yeah. and automatically done between all these different systems and will kind of be an internet backbone that we take for granted. So these things really resonate with me. And I started following the Grid Plus team like obsessively since day one. And I was like that obnoxious community guy. <laughs> I just started answering questions on there. They had a Slack and a Telegram. And I was like the guy I just, I was always on and answering questions. And eventually uh, when I was um, ready to make the jump, I started talking to our old CEO, Mark D'Agostino, who's also at Consensus Prior. And he was helping me try and land a, like my first role in the space. And then I eventually thought, um, if I'm going to work with anybody, I want to work with you guys. So I, I pitched him and the, the team and they brought me on board. That's awesome. That's exactly how like, like I've done some work in the past for crypto. That's that's how you have to do it is just become that person in the chat forums and the group chats wherever you can just be as active as possible and get get recognized for what you're doing because right now the only value you have is to contribute information is to share and just help out the community members and you'll get recognized for doing good work so all that hard work does go noticed and it can land you a full career in a crypto industry um and a lot of people when you get started you have this uh sort of sense that there's a distinction between the end users and the people who are you know the big brains uh, mm -hmm. making all of this a reality uh, so i was even you know i mentioned eth trader in 2016 i was terrified to post on uh, yeah. our ethereum it's like oh that's where all the smart guys are, are in a not entirely sure i know what's going on with half the discussion um but it, it's really just a matter of of jumping in, you know, it's a collaborative thing that is more of a, a meritocracy than any other system out there. Like if you jump in and you do something useful, you're going to find your niche because uh, it feels like everyone is shorthanded right now uh, with aspirations beyond the, their bandwidth. So. Yeah. And the projects, projects coming out, there's always a flavor for someone to be part of something they're interested in. Yeah. So now that you're joint, that you're a part of Grid Plus, you know, you're the marketing and business development lead there. Um, how did how did it go from you know uh, doing energy into going into focusing on wallets, hardware wallets? So um, the two ideas always went hand in hand, and the reason for this is that to facilitate the energy use case, you needed to have a new kind of hardware wallet, something that was flexible, that was programmable, and could do uh, automated permission transactions. And uh, the team had always viewed this is sort of being like a Trojan horse for mainstream adoption of cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. um, a physical intuitive device that you could use um, that had real world applications. And if the idea was that people could just save money on their energy bills and have like the best hardware wallet possible on their, their desk and their home in some capacity, they're going to explore other opportunities with it and, and get more and more into it. Um, really what stuck though, over time, we realized that our passion, our expertise and everything was really in the hardware cryptocurrency and privacy side. Um, we ran, run an, an energy subsidiary for a couple of years um, and it did moderately well, but I think it was actually kind of a blessing that the Texas um, deregulated energy uh, market basically imploded uh, this February yep. due to an ice storm and then just uh, the market calling like two thirds of the participants. We actually fared uh, much better due to our preparation than, than most retail electricity providers. Um, nice. But yeah, the, the market was just basically annihilated and there was going to be I think, a no regulatory appetite for what we were trying to accomplish by merging these uh, two elements of the business. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're a much leaner organization focused on what works and that's it's been like that we really were moving in that direction since yeah like for, for the past couple of years anyways um, so when we launched uh, our product to retail in uh, december of last year um, it was entirely about just the, the wallet and 
that was a kind of a key consideration too. Like when we first set out, we wanted to have this flexible device that would also be used for ETH staking. At the time, yeah. you know, they, they, were at, they wrote about this in 2017. So they were calling it Casper staking at the time and specs evolved. Uh, I remember that. Quite, yeah. quite a bit since. I actually forgot until you just told me about that. I'm like, oh yeah, Casper, I forgot about that. I just, nothing came out of that. Yeah. So, well, it just evolved uh, quite yeah. a bit. And um, now the spec is pretty much solidified as we get ready for the merge. Although there's still a lot, lot more to be done after we go through that this, this coming year. Yeah. And then let's see. So you're here and working on creating the hardware wallet. And it's a pretty unique method because what we're used to right now is like Ledger and, and Trezor, like just simple device where you click on a few buttons to get things going. But you have like almost a kiosk point of sale system, what it looks like for you know your everyday activity. Um, what was the inspiration for that design? Pretty much uh, everyone on the every one of the co-founders having a background focused on Ethereum in the early days, mm -hmm. um, because the designs and the user experience for like the USB thumbstick style uh, hardware wallets, when those were conceived. All people ever did with crypto was trade on centralized exchanges yep. and send to cold storage and back or maybe send to each other. So you never had to do anything more with it than verify uh, the recipient address. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they had a benefit by having your keys stored offline, which was more secure, but they were kind of designed for a different era of crypto. And what we realized was that the two key properties of a hardware wallet are um, securing your keys themselves. Um, we did a lot of different things on that to kind of remedy concerns we found when we did teardowns in 2017 on uh, popular products. Um, you could do seed extraction and stuff when you had uh, physical access. And then the other thing is actually being able to know precisely what you're signing, which is much more critical for a smart contract chain. So, yeah, um, Especially with all the scams going on, because sometimes you can log on to a bad website and or use MetaMask and you're just signing away everything in your wallet without even recognizing because if you're new to it, it's just like, okay, sign, sign, approve. Here's my gas fees and yeah. make so it work. And I've had a- those, Yeah, those USB wallets are great for Bitcoin and they are perfect for that. Um, but for Ethereum, if you're not verifying what you're signing on that little screen and it's all hexadecimal and yep. basically everyone just YOLO signs, um, it's sort of like having 10 locks on your door, but you just let everyone in who knocks. And uh, this actually like gives you the tool to, to verify what you're signing, that you're looking at the right contract, that you're doing the right thing, you know, whether it's transferring or, you know, adding liquidity to a pool, like you should have the ability to actually verify what you're signing on a, a device that you can trust. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the distinction. And I think there's going to be more of a need for that. And I, I hope um, if we move the needle enough that we will be inspiring the other major manufacturers, or at least ones who are uh, focused on more than Bitcoin, um, to kind of do something with a similar approach, which will be to the benefit of all users. That competition will be great um, because the hardware, not just the hardware wallet space, but the wallet space in general, seeing a lot of new teams spin up and yeah. I think that will be good for everybody. Yeah, I've seen uh, a few hardware wallets you know, popping up now, I think because of what you're what you're saying, trying to solve that problem with signing so many different transactions in the Ethereum space, and especially with NFTs going on and people signing contracts and having your own e uh, .eth address and ENS domains, and just so many different platforms and use cases for Ethereum, you kind of do need a system that can better you know, represent what's going on in front of you, just so you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, NFTs are actually a really interesting aspect of all of this. Um, something that we didn't anticipate being so big when we started, but actually it's been like a key area for us. It's because NFTs attracted all these people who were interested in the application layer and weren't necessarily obsessive with you know the underlying 
blockchains. Um, so this is like a whole new cohort of people getting into the space. And the other thing about NFTs is that they require self-custody. Uh, yep. There's no simple exchange interface now. And I'm sure this will change over time where you could custody all your NFTs and, and trade in a non-custodial way. So you had all these people who were less familiar with the technology jumping right into the deep end out of necessity. Um, so that group has been, um, I think, like more receptive to what we're doing. It's more intuitive for them because they're just sort of leapfrogging old preconceptions and, and better understand the value of this because they have to manage their own collections and curate them. And I guess I guess brings a lot of questions. Like, what was you know what's a difficult challenge that you have now trying to get either you know, the community online or people around you trying to learn and accept like why you need a hardware wallet versus just MetaMask or you know taking the easy route of just signing away transactions account. What's your current challenge of educating? You took the keyword out of my mouth, which is is education. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think it took a lot of, uh, I think it took the proliferation of scams directly targeting the NFT community mm-hmm. um, for people to get more aware that they need to do take active an active role in securing their assets. And self-custody is scary. You know, when you're you're doing that, there's no one you can just call and, you know, get a charge back on FBIC what you sent. FBIC insured. Yeah, exactly. And so education, I think, is remains um, the biggest problem with blockchain today. I think people are more sophisticated now, and some of these concepts are becoming more intuitive to people who have just stuck around for a bit. But the basics still require um, time to get your head around. And even like wallet is a misnomer because people think, all right, I'm storing my assets in this box. Um, but no, you, you're storing keys. And those keys are the rights to all your assets and, and moving and doing what you want with them. Um, so some of the like early nomenclature is not super helpful. And I also think the space is a little intimidating sometimes. So people feel disinclined to ask basic questions because they don't want to be labeled a noob. And people need to be comfortable with that because well, you're putting people like, something valuable at risk. Yeah, and people like us need to be like, well, we are, but you know, the whole community as a whole needs to be more accepting of newcomers because if you want something something to become mainstream you kind of have to be nice to people who are trying to learn otherwise they're going to be afraid or um not inclined to ask questions and kind of just go back to the way things were that they know and understand it's, yeah it's definitely yeah. a patience game and i i think we're all uh we could all do a better job than going that like last mile to make this more friendly because it's still tricky um you know so metamask now such a popular tool i think they have either 15 or 16 million monthly average users wow um, it's it's massive, um, but there's so much learning that goes with it that is intimidating to someone who's only used Coinbase or something prior. Yeah. And uh, managing your own private keys and taking on that responsibility is something that I think most people would like a lot more handholding with. Um, and these experiences should be streamlined. So you see, um, you know, great companies like like them. Um, do more to try and educate people to improve the user experience. Uh, My crypto is a great one that is always providing people security tips mm-hmm. or occasionally yelling security tips at people on Twitter. Um, but it needs to be more of that. And there needs to be resources that people know is a, a reliable go-to because um, there's like the, the cliche about trying to keep up with crypto news is like trying to drink from a fire hose. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is for me too yeah, right now. Yeah. And that's like, that's like, yeah, the kind of good thing about um, centralized entities is that they understand their main market is newcomers and beginners and they take security as pretty seriously you know they take the ownership of keeping your funds secure and coinbase they might be a centralized exchange but if i have some funds on there i'm not going to you know i'll sleep at night just fine it's not like i'm keeping my funds on metamask where 
I don't feel safe keeping any funds there. So it's like a definitely a, a game where you have to know one keeping yourself safe in the digital world. Not make sure you don't get hacked. Make sure you don't go on this, any scam sites. And you know the the more that we can help uh, people understand where how their funds are stored, where it's stored, and the different you know holes that can be um, accessed by. Uh, hackers is you got to keep a watch out for that yeah and um, beyond education too the people that are providing tools to everyone i think they have to do more to meet new users where they are already mm-hmm. maybe frame things in in terms of familiar concepts um so you know talking about things in terms of like how they manage their bank accounts and whatever else and like because yeah you can focus on education from the ground up with totally new concepts uh, but the, the user experience for crypto um, I think yeah. they're already having enough broad exposure that there are a lot of people that you know are a little befuddled by what they're trying to get into, and it's not easy to dig into yet. As much as once you're in the space for a while, a lot of this feels intuitive. But I think people forget that because the longer you're in the space, the more you focus um, focus on the minutia yeah. or more exotic things going on, and you forget that everyone else is just trying to to get their initial toehold. Yeah, for sure. That's what I've been realizing too. You know, it even happens to myself. Um, so. Yeah, you're working on such a massive, awesome, you know, innovative product and you're on, you know, I see you on the Discord channel all the time. You're always active, talking, contributing. You also have a family at home. You know, what do you, what do you do to keep yourself, you know, sane and, you know, not so overwhelmed and kind of what's your method of relaxation? Like what are your hobbies to also just think outside of crypto? Um, That isn't an ongoing struggle. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, I have I have a family. I'm married. I have two young kids. I have a five year old son and a one and a half year old daughter. Um, Congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, they're they're great ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean they're really they have to come before everything else. But this was made. You know, I think every family can kind of identify with the fact that it's been so much trickier even these past two years of the pandemic as you didn't have daycare and all these other things. So it's been it's been a struggle juggling all of it. Um, and as we get really busy now, which is um, a good problem to have, because you know we're, we're getting our, our initial traction, we're really we're happy with how things are going. Um, that gets even harder to balance. So I end up either working at night, like like time with my kids from the end of the workday to like their bedtime is like it's sacrosanct. I don't I don't pick up my phone. I leave my phone in the other room, so I'm not even tempted. Yep. Because um, otherwise, I'll be like, oh, I'm just gonna do this one thing. Or it's never just you know, one thing. It's just <laughs> and it, it always keeps going. So yeah, I know what I should do to better manage my time. But um, really, for me, and I guess it's different for everybody. Um, the best thing is is organization because you can you can stay busy 24 seven in this space and get nothing done. Um, <laughs> and uh, yep. so for me, I have to I write out my schedule for the week, like what I want to accomplish. Um, to keep myself honest, um, again, going with the cliches, you know, what gets measured gets managed. Yep. So I write out my, my daily itinerary, um, aside from my calendar and note tool and uh, try to keep to a schedule. But I know there's so much more I should be doing. I should be exercising daily, to, you know, get those endorphins and, <laughs> you know, sleep better. It's um, tough. It's tough. I mean, even like I try to at least I, I, got, I try to go to bed around like 10 at night just so I can wake up early around six or seven. And that's like my quiet time where... I don't look at the phone. I don't look at the computer. It's nice and quiet outside. I don't have like that, that rush to get things going. It's like my meditation hour <laughs> where I just kind of focus on getting myself ready for the day. So that's actually, it's a pro and a con for me. The late nights are, you know, when everyone's asleep, that's like my time. And I can either, yeah, I can either work and turn off notifications and, you know, like 
no one has the expectation I'll reply to them immediately. Uh, or I do something to relax. For a while, it was like, you know, if you get stressed, I ended up like binging on, on Netflix, like people are prone to do. Yeah. That kind of stopped working after a while. And I guess actually one of the best things for me is a new vice, um, which is not necessarily ideal. It's not meditation or running, but okay. uh, I got... My my wife got a, an Oculus, or now it's a it's a Meta Quest too. Oh, and she wanted to play Beat Saber, and yeah, yeah. I I kind of commandeered it. She still loves it, but like uh, for me, VR was like this really immersive thing where I didn't focus on anything else. Um, and so for me, getting back into video games, which I hadn't done for a long time, that was something that because it was an active process, I tuned everything else out and it actually really relaxed me. So I've been super into that lately. That's so funny. My brother just got the Oculus Quest two also um yeah we were playing beat saber and kind of just it's so immersive and such a fun game i didn't think it'd be so fun but it is i played guitar hero as a kid for like the wii and xbox yeah but yeah it's it's a good even though i'm not like a facebook fan but like it's a fun game it's a fun device and it's a great way to really immerse yourself outside the world they can easily become addicting so it's something i have to limit myself with all right just (laughs) put it down yeah I usually, you know, I, I usually have my fill like within an hour or so. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm like some people, uh, they get into it for a little while and they enjoy the novelty of it. Um, but I'm one of the people that stuck with it, despite the Facebook connection. I'm not a Facebook fan on any <laughs> level. Um, but, you know, VR is something, again, you talk about being tech oriented when you're younger. I was into like cyberpunk fiction yeah. and all of that. And VR was one of these concepts that loomed big. And then when you actually looked at anything, it was garbage for years. And this is sort of like the first time I tried something out. I was like, okay, this is actually fun and immersive now. Like, it can still get way better. It should get way better before yeah. I think it gets bigger. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty damn cool right now. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and that's a, it's like another thing I wanted to ask is like, you know, you're always in this type of industry and in like the, you know, the latest tech scene. But did you ever imagine yourself being in such a, you know, the beginning era of a new industry, a new generation of the internet. Did you think that's going to be your role? Was that kind of like your passion? I want to start a revolution with no, tech. It's, it's it's like anything else. What you, I mean, yeah, there's a direction setting, but like it's what you do every day that makes you. Mm-hmm. And this sort of just naturally became what I, I did every day out of obsession. And I got to the point where I think I was distracted at work and more focused on what was going on with crypto and yep. trying to, you know, read every new Reddit message and <laughs> everything, you know, every morning on the, the train into work. And um, and it sort of took over. And so when I got to the point where still anxious about making the leap, um, so I did it. And when the crypto focus was sort of waning um, a little bit, but I always been not always, but for the past, you know, four or five years, I've been pretty confident about the trajectory of this technology, um, or at least some iteration of it. Uh, so even though I was anxious at that time, like I just, it, it made sense at that point, because I wanted to just merge what I was already doing with, you know, with my actual career path. Yeah. And, you know, focusing so much on crypto, you know, being an industry for so long and watching it grow. Now, what is your crypto pet peeve? You're, you're seeing all so much of the industry changing yearly, almost. It's just so fast. Like, what is your crypto pet peeve and what you've been seeing so far? Um, I think it plays into social media, which is uh, maybe more of a human nature problem than a crypto specific one. Um, but all the gaslighting on Twitter, I see the voices of some of the smartest, most hardworking people get drowned out by um, the loudest, most obnoxious people. Mm-hmm. And people tend to focus on the controversy and trying to you know, dunk on other people with one liners. And uh, again, if that's if Twitter is people's portal to understanding this tech for the first time, it doesn't give a great first impression. 
Yeah. There's a lot of valuable information to be gleaned from that source, but um, we could do with um, some better communications channels for like more substantive discussion. It doesn't have to be technical um, and better educational resources. Because just yeah. the onboarding point for all this is is janky. Like I get why a lot of people have a, a negative impression. Like if you just follow a few random big accounts on Twitter and you look at some of the outspoken people in this space, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but that is, I think, aside from the core value, like I, actually, and I think that's actually kind of part of the magic is that you can get those people involved in that. Um, it's all about incentive structuring, right? So what is brilliant about the big blockchains and blockchain in general at, at the base layer is that it's kind of a machine that inputs human greed and like outputs a public good. Uh, that is kind of magical where like, again, meeting people where they already are, you know, people are going to act in their own rational self-interest, yeah. then set up the incentive structure in a way that you get a positive outcome from people doing what they're going to do anyways. And that's what I always try to look for on Twitter is the people who are giving those threads of explaining to me how Ethereum works, how Ethereum layer two works, how ZK syncs work and what Grid Plus is doing and really give me the, the details because otherwise all I hear is this is a scam, this is, this is a scam. All this other coin's going to become the next big pump and overtake market cap. And I'm like, none of this makes sense. Tell me which one actually is trying to do something in the world. Yeah, uh, my favorite people to follow, and I don't always go this route, but it's um, not necessarily the most technically gifted people, but it's the people who can uh, take a complex concept and make it palatable, digestible for everybody. Um, I think that is so valuable and there's not enough of that. People are sort of translating from blockchain nerd to their native language mm -hmm. uh, in that sometimes there's, there's a lot of uh, very gifted technical people in this space who are uh, so deep into the jargon that they don't effectively communicate the value of what they're doing to a broader audience. So I, I really feel that uh, people who just kind of share their experiences, like you talk about getting involved initially, just uh, I'd love when people, as they read something, as they try and parse it out themselves, they just share their synopsis or how they interpreted it. And I think that kind of, that layer of discussion is, um, has not been nurtured enough, like sort of this collaborative, uplifting sharing of what you learn as you go and not worrying about, you know, people judging you because you don't know something. Yeah, exactly. Well, now that uh, I have you some, some other questions to ask you from a coworker of yours. Uh, oh, no. I think you know this person, JT. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's, uh, you know, making fun of you that you're from the... Uh, Boston area. So is it true that your favorite restaurant is Red Lobster? That is absolutely false. <laughs> you know, if you if you are from the Northeast, which I not, am. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not going to Red Lobster. You lobster, first of all, tourists come to Boston and they want to go to an expensive restaurant and have lobster. For me, it's like a picnic table food. Yep. Because it's not I don't eat it gracefully. It's it's a messy affair. I want like a roll of paper towels and like seafood and beer. It's like an outdoor summer New England thing. But no, hell no to red lobster. <laughs> all right, JT, you have it. It's definitely a no. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, your your community is great and a lot of fun. I love um hanging out in the Discord and chatting around. Uh, I want to give a shout out to JT also. So I mentioned getting into ETH Trader in 2016. Uh, he was one of those key people who was a regular guy uh, and explained things as he understood them. And he was kind of instrumental in me getting a foothold on a lot of core concepts originally. Cool. So when we needed to have people uh, helping with the education of our users, like I was just absolutely over the moon to get JT involved because um, he's great, he's accessible, uh, he's friendly, he's a lot of fun. But like, I wanted to emphasize this aspect of the community. He is someone who's always just been there because it was something he loved. It wasn't his, his main job mm -hmm. and he's been doing it for years. So we're, we're very lucky to have him. Yeah.
and yeah, I've, I've chatted with him. He's a stellar dude. So fun to talk to you. And yeah, also glad you have him on board. Hmm. Um, so, you know, before we end this off, I do want to ask you my classic question. What made you smile the most recently? It could be anything non-crypto related, crypto related. It was, you know, trying to bring the endorphins of, you know, what, what gave you a grin? Um, well, this is a, a corny old person answer, I guess. But if I had to be totally honest, there's a lot of wonderful things in crypto that make me smile. Uh, but what centers me is uh, my kids. Like uh, my one and a half year old daughter is just like, uh, just like being with her is like, that's like a recentering thing, mm-hmm. um, especially with how overly online I am and how plugged in I am. Like uh, it's a constant reminder of what's important. So that's amazing. Um, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have thought this way when I was younger. I don't think I was ever like a super family oriented guy, but you know, it changes people and I'm very lucky. That's like the thing too, is like, you know, both spend so much time online on the internet it's, and it's really a different world. Like my mind definitely goes into a different world and it forgets everything around me. And then having something or like, again, like your daughter to help you stay in the realm of presence and in the, in the realm of reality or current reality it's it's important it's it's healthy for you and i'm glad you are able to recognize that and able to appreciate it yeah. i better if my son ever goes back and looks through uh, any of my old interviews uh, hey you're you're very important too but you know babies are just extra cute so, <laughs> yeah i hope you can understand <laughs> he was a baby once too and that was the same thing you'd say the same same exact thing then <laughs> we're all babies once <laughs> yeah well, thank you so much, Justin. I, you know, I really appreciate your time. Let's, you know, excited for Grid Plus to keep going. I'm excited to keep track of it, and I'm excited for you too. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The time flew by. It was just yeah. a, like a fun, relaxing conversation. We can speak more soon. Awesome. See you, everyone. Okay.